Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. We are uh, going to jump back into our Walking with God series. Since the new year, we've kind of been in this world of thinking about new ground as we step out of the last couple of years of COVID, recognizing that Jesus is speaking to those who follow Him about going somewhere new with Him. Uh, that kind of ran us up to Easter time, and then post-Easter, we've been chatting through, what does it actually look like to go on a journey with Jesus? How, how do we actually do that? What's involved? We've looked at things like spending time in silence with God. We've looked at worship. How do we pray? Intercession, petition. What does all of that kind of stuff look like? And this morning, I have the wonderful privilege of talking about spiritual warfare. Everybody say, ooh. <laughs> so, um, one thing's really interesting is uh, typically, in my experience of following Jesus, there's, and this is a wee bit of a caricature, but go with me here. There's kind of two camps when it comes to spiritual warfare and the church. There's the camp over here who pretty much are like, I don't really pay attention to any of that stuff. I mean, just get on with your life, keep your head down, try to be a good person, read your Bible from time to time, and everything will be all right. There's those guys. And then there's the, some other guys over here. They're the kind of guys that like every time a bush moves, they're casting a demon out of it, you know? And every time it rains, they're, they're like rebuking the weather, and everything in their life is spiritual warfare. And the reality is, neither are all that healthy a place to be. That spiritual warfare is a reality, but it's not supposed to become the lens through which we see everything in our lives. I wonder, have you ever had a moment with a friend, maybe a marriage partner, where you completely overreacted, like off the chain overreacted? Dana and I had a moment th this week. Um, she's not here, but I did talk about it in the 9.30, and she was here for that, just in case you think I'm being sneaky and confessing my sins to you all without talking to her about them. I made some compost bays at home recently, and so we're kind of doing that whole thing and looking forward to planting some vegetables and growing some of our own food and stuff next year. And uh, it's a fairly involved process of what can go in and what can't, and we have a carpet that kind of, you know, covers the compost bay, and um, I, I realized that Dana had been um, letting the kids take some of the food scraps out to put in the compost bay. Uh, a week or two ago, and they weren't really making it into the compost bay, which when you live out in the countryside, that has all sorts of consequences that you don't really love when there's just food scraps lying about the place. And so I had a fairly intense chat with her a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was like, love, you really need to, you know, if they're going to do the compost, then, you know, you need to explain really carefully how they get the food from here to there, because, you know, we don't want scraps of food everywhere. Thursday morning, kids were off school, I let the dogs out to go to the toilet, waited a couple of minutes, it was just pretty normal, opened the door, called the dogs back, one of them came straight back, and another one was like not responding. I was like, what is she doing? Where is she? So we shouted a bit louder and got a little bit cross. And then she came running back with a half rotten banana <laughs> in her mouth. Well, I wish I could tell you all that I very calmly took the banana and walked back into the kitchen and, you know, just gently reminded Dana of the instructions to give the children around. Composting Bay, I, I wish I could tell you that's what happened. 
what actually happened when the dog appeared at my feet with this banana, I made a sound that was a bit more like, ah! And then Dana shouted from the kitchen, are you okay? And I went running kind of in with this rotten banana in my hand. And in a much, like in a really ridiculous way, started to basically proclaim that the dog is probably poisoned. <laughs> and this is really your fault because you haven't told the kids. And when the dog dies, you're going to tell the kids. And if you just listen to me in the first place, none of this would have happened. She said, what, what did the dog have? And I said, a, a, a banana. And she said, are bananas poisonous to dogs? And at that point, I realized, well, no, they're, they're you know. But that's not the point here. And I began to realize that my reaction to compost gate had way more to do with my lack of sleep at Nua and the other two or three fairly challenging things that had been happening in my life on the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday that Dana knew nothing about. You see, here's the truth that will really help you when it comes to navigating relationships, life, and trying to follow Jesus. There is always more going on than you can see with your eyes. There is always more going on than you can see with your eyes. When Dana said to me, goodness me, are bananas poisonous? I realized, oh no, this is not about that. I actually haven't told you that I'm pretty exhausted and this thing happened on Monday and this thing happened on Tuesday and this thing happened yesterday and what you're getting is a reaction to that and it doesn't really have anything to do with compost dogs or children. There's always more going on in our lives than we can see with our eyes. One of the things we have to learn how to uh, discern when it comes to what's happening with us as we do life in community and with Jesus is what is going on that we can't see with our eyes. I'm not saying every bad day, hard conversation, or poor decision is because of demonic forces. Bad decisions result typically in bad consequences. It's also a truth we would be well served to embrace. Having said all of that, the scriptures are very clear that there is a spiritual realm that we cannot see with our eyes that is every part as real as the chair that you're currently sitting on. One of the things that I'm astounded by quite often when I begin to engage with people who are trying to follow Jesus and finding that a bit of a challenge is how unspiritual our worldview is. For many of us, we have a worldview that is absent of any kind of spirituality. You see, the reality is it's impossible to be a Christian and not believe in supernatural reality and mystery. Just try and explain the resurrection of Jesus through a scientific method. It doesn't work. 
We're going to look this morning, at uh, this afternoon, at a passage, a uh, famous passage in the Scriptures. It's Ephesians chapter 6. Um, it's page 813 in your Bibles, uh, the black Bibles on your seats. Why don't you go there uh, now? 813, Ephesians 6. I'm only going to read a little bit of this, but many of you will know this, uh, this passage. This is Ephesians 6, starting verse 10. Come, Holy Spirit. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. We need your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul, who wrote this letter uh, that we've just written, this is not a book as the parts of the Bible are normally referred to. It's actually a letter. It was written by this man named Paul to a church in a city called Ephesus. He was writing to them instructions, things that they needed to understand, prioritize, and practice in order to effectively follow Jesus and demonstrate that he was indeed alive and ruling and his kingdom was being established here on earth through his people. That's what Paul's trying to do with the book of Ephesians, writing to a church in a city called Ephesus going, this is what's really important for you to understand. And he, we get here in chapter 6 to him wrapping up the letter, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Essentially, what Paul's saying is, once you've done everything else, once you've learned to practice all the things I've told you about in this letter, once you've done everything that I've just said, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I hope you understand that the Christian life requires supernatural power. It's impossible to live a biblically defined Christian life absent of supernatural power. It is 100% possible to intellectually ascribe to Christian beliefs. It is 100% possible to say, I believe in the gospel of Jesus. I believe in his death and supernatural resurrection. I believe that he's now ruling. You can intellectually subscribe to those things and not need any supernatural power in your life. But the moment you try to actually follow and practice the way of Jesus, the moment that you try to occupy the plans and purposes of God here on earth with your life, you're going to realize that not only do you need power, you're utterly dependent upon it. The Christian life, a normal Christian life, requires supernatural power. Why? C.S. Lewis said this, there is no neutral ground in the universe. There is no such thing as neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed and counterclaimed by Satan. 
there is no such thing as neutral ground. Now, isn't it funny how, particularly if we kind of tend to live over in this camp, we like to think, well, actually, there's probably piles of neutral ground. There's, you know, it's maybe a wee bit of an exaggeration to say there's no neutral ground. C.S. Lewis has been pretty clear. There is no such thing biblically as neutral ground. There is a cosmic battle going on between good and evil, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, and that is the basis of reality. It's the basis of reality, and it is so easy for us to, in a Western context in Northern Ireland, think, well, that's maybe a wee bit extreme. I wonder where that thought comes from. You see, we're formed in a culture that says the material world is the basis of our reality. The things that we can see and taste and touch, the chair you're sitting on, that's actually the basis for reality, but that's not in any way, shape, or form consistent with what the Scriptures would teach us should be our worldview, that God Himself is the basis of our reality. The New Testament says that in Jesus, He holds all things together, that the basis of reality is actually the spiritual, not the natural. And if we want to learn how to follow Jesus and occupy His plans and purposes, then we need to allow that reality to inform every other reality in our lives. And that's really challenging because hours upon hours upon hours of our lives are spent being bombarded with ideas and images that say the absolute opposite. Had this crazy moment last Sunday morning in Nua where my phone buzzed to say, uh, you know, screen report, like how, what your average screen time was for the week before, and mine buzzed and said, your average screen time for the last week was five minutes. Now, before you think that I'm some sort of monk who has detached myself from um, addiction to technology. It actually just had more of a reflection of how manic the week running up to Nua was. It wasn't necessarily healthy. But we need to recognize what is it that forms our worldview? Because you are being formed. There are so many things that you assume as truth, and you would be well served to just begin to pull on those threads with the question, where does that come from? And will my life stand upon it? There's more going on than we can see with our eyes. Paul says if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to join him in demonstrating the reality of the inbreaking of his good and beautiful kingdom in your family, in your place of work or wider community, then you're going to need power because you're stepping into contested space. I wonder how many of you have ever tried to read the Bible like in a year or something like that, or even maybe for a month saying, I'm going to read the Bible every day. This happens to people all the time where they get really inspired. Maybe they go to a meeting or a church or something like that, and they're like, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to open the Bible. I'm going to read it every day for the next year, and three days in, it's like, oh, I think I'll just stay in bed. Or Instagram seems a wee bit more attractive. What's going on there? It's not just you. It's contested space. 
as you try to prioritize the things of God in your life, you step into contested space. Denzel Washington commenting on um, Will Smith's slap at the Oscars. He said this about his mom. He said, whenever I was a kid, my mom used to say to me, when the devil leaves you alone, you better be worried. There's something about when we begin to prioritize the things of God, that they get contested and it shows up in all kinds of different ways because there's more going on than we can see with our eyes. Imagine being dropped into a battlefield in a pair of flip-flops and speedos. Don't think about me, think about yourself. (laughs) It's a ridiculous image. And I can't help but wonder how possibly accurate it is for many people trying to live the Christian life. A war zone in a pair of flip-flops and speedos. Verse 12, Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Can you hear the assumption? A struggle. See, this really funny thing happens to people when they start following Jesus. Like if somebody came to you tomorrow and said, I need to talk to you, I'm really struggling. You would think, okay, time to pray, time to fix this problem. Because the goal is that we don't struggle, not according to Paul. Paul seems to be suggesting here that struggle, a sense of struggle should actually be normal Christianity. Sorry if that sounds like bad news. It amazes me how many people get inspired to do some great thing with Jesus and order their lives around that thing, make some changes, begin to really invest in this important thing that they're doing. And about three months in, I get a phone call and the wheels are starting to come off. And the question often to me is, Andy, what am I doing wrong? I said yes to Jesus. I'm trying to follow him. I'm trying to do this good thing. And now all this hard stuff's happening. What have I got wrong? And I'm like, absolutely nothing. This is what happens. Paul's assumption is there's a struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We are all supposed to be struggling. And that's not a confession of weakness or that you've got lost or you've fallen by the wayside. Struggle is normal Christianity. I wonder how many of us are struggling right now. And rather than beating yourself up or trying to figure out what you need to do to get out of or over the struggle, maybe actually you need an understanding that your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's more going on than we can see with our eyes. One of the challenges for us, particularly here in Northern Ireland, is we've become 
desensitized to the power and ugliness of demonic forces. It's just become life here. If you're wondering what that looks like, you need to look no further than the video that circulated two weeks ago, recorded in Dundonald Orange Hall, mocking the death of Michaela McRaevey. We would be foolish to think that the cancer of sectarianism that has plagued these lands for centuries can be solved by more funding, a government overhaul, or a new education system. By the way, I'm in favor of all those three things. It just won't be enough. Spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. And we need reminded when we see the horrors of those types of videos and songs that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I am in favor of people being held accountable for their actions, but we've got to be so careful that we don't point the finger and yell bigot without first examining what's going on in our own lives. Because the reality is many of us have some attitudes or some worldviews or allow some jokes to come out of our mouths that perhaps nowhere near as abhorrent as that video or that song, but they grow out of the same soil. Spiritual warfare is both an inner reality and an outer reality. And before we begin to think about taking on whatever is happening in the spiritual realm over our families or our community or our city, region, nation, we would be well served to find ourselves humbly on our knees before Jesus, praying, God, search me first. Point out anything within me right now that's getting in your way. Spiritual warfare happens within us and around us. And humbly repenting before God regularly is a really important part of how we engage in spiritual warfare. Keep your own heart pure. Verse 13 Paul says, therefore, or in other words, because of what I've just explained, because of what I've just drawn the curtain back on, because of what I have just exposed and helped you to see with your spiritual eye, because of what you've just learned about the reality of the world you live in, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, because there is more going on than you can see with your eyes, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Take off your flip-flops. Change out of your speedos. Put on things that are appropriate for the moment you find yourself in. He goes on to say, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. What is the goal of spiritual warfare? It is not some victorious overcoming. 
It is not some euphoric sense of, look at how spiritually powerful we are. According to the Apostle Paul, the goal of spiritual warfare is that no matter what comes against you, you will find yourself able to stand. And it is as simple as that. That no matter what else is going on in your life, with Jesus, you will be able to stand. That is the goal. Paul says, the day of evil is coming. That integrity test and work, that invitation to join in with that gossip that actually at its core is a bit degrading and dehumanizing of that colleague that challenge or assault in your emotions or your health. But victory, Paul says, is your ability in the face of those things to stand. Victory in Christ is at the end of the day who will be found still standing. The last two years have taken a huge toll on many of us physical health, mental health, family health. And I want to be really clear, I don't feel like I look at the last two years and see some big demonic conspiracy theory. But I also have to be clear that I see spiritual warfare all over it. And the question post-COVID that I have for us as a community is how many of us are still standing and if you are, well done. Even if it's by a fingernail, that's the goal. If your faith is hanging on by a thread, but you're still standing, well done. When the test comes, when the struggle comes, when evil comes, Will we be able to stand? That's the goal. Learning to stand in the face of everything that gets thrown at us. There's a bunny kind of trail we could go on, which we're not going to today, into the depths of Spiritual warfare, deliverance ministry, all of those sorts of things, they are important, they're real, we believe in them, and we need them. But at its most basic form, spiritual warfare is learning to stand regardless of what else happens around you. James and the band, why don't you guys come on back up? <clears throat> what does that look like in our lives? It's a great question. How do we actually do that? It's a better question. What do we need to learn to do? I want to tell you a story that I, I think captures um, beautifully what I, I think it means to stand in the midst of or in the face of trial. And then I want to give us three really practical take-homes that will enable us to live that kind of life. <clears throat> Last Sunday morning at Nua. There was a beautiful moment um, on Sunday morning where all of the children and young people came to the front and faced the room. And then the guys that had been leading those rooms said, any adults here that want prayer, come on up. 
And uh, I find myself being prayed for by eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds. And then just whenever, just whenever I thought it was done, um, Caleb Lewis and Elijah Boyd came over to me before they went out to the youth and said, can we pray for you? And I just love that. And uh, I knelt down and they said, uh, what do you want prayer for? And I thought, geez, oh, what a, what a moment, you know, as they prayed for courage and strength and just incredible moment. While that was happening, Dana um, felt like the Lord prompted her to go and ask an elderly gentleman behind her if she could pray for him. She felt like God had highlighted to her that he had something going on with his heart. And uh, so she went and introduced herself to him and said, hey, um, I feel like, um, I, feel like I, I need to pray for you. And I feel like God wants me to pray for your heart. Is everything okay? And he started to weep, and he said, um, my wife has only three or four months left to live. And um, then I said, is she, is she here? And he said, yeah, she's serving in the kids' tent. What does it look like to stand? That's what it looks like to stand. That though, though a physical body would be decaying and dying, a spirit would be alive, choosing to be lost with Jesus, doing whatever he is doing. That's what it looks like to stand, to live lives that are lost in the life of Jesus, serving other people, finding ways to connect them to his life and his love. God, give us hearts like that, lady. You see, there is no neutral ground. There is no neutral ground. The question facing all of us is, will we give our lives to the extension and the building of our own little kingdoms? Many of them good. <laughs> or will we lose our lives helping Him establish His, demonstrating His kindness and compassion, His power to all those who need it? Three really practical things as we land today. Because the problem is, you don't just wake up and become that lady. That doesn't just happen. You don't just pray, God, make me like that lady, and then that happens, and then you're there. Those types of choices are the result of a life that has been formed it's been formed in the way of Jesus. How do we do that? I'm not going to unpack these massively. You can relax. You'll get some lunch today. But three really practical things. Read the Scriptures with the Holy Spirit every day. No matter what else happens in your day, find yourself with one of these. This is so old-fashioned, preferably not a phone. 
Your phone is associated with all kinds of things. Most of you can't look at it without seeing at least three different apps subconsciously. I'll check my texts, I'll check my emails, I'll check Instagram or social media feed. You don't even think about it because you're formed. We're addicted. Read the scriptures every day with the Holy Spirit. It's really simple. Open the Bible, come Holy Spirit, start reading every day. Watch how contested that becomes in your life and ask yourself why. It was a secret goal, dream, hope, prayer, vision, whatever word you want to put on it. It was secret until the 9.30 this morning when I told them. One of the deepest longings of my own heart and Dana's actually is that in 10 years' time when we're approaching our 20th anniversary, it would be completely normal for every person that calls this church family their home to read the Bible every day. It'll change your life. That won't change it in a day and it won't change it in a week. But watch what happens over a period of months and years as you invite the Holy Spirit in quiet corners of your life to come and you commit to reading the Word of God every day. First thing, read the Scriptures with the Holy Spirit every day. Second thing, learn how to pray. Learn how to pray. I don't mean the desperate prayers when everything's falling apart of God, just do something. I mean learning how to pray every day for yourself, for your family, for the place that you work, for the community that you live in. And part of learning how to pray is learning how to be prayed for. And it's the bit that we probably struggle with the most. Part of learning how to pray is in moments like we create every Sunday saying, I just need someone to pray for me today because this is hard and that's okay. Or I need someone to pray for me because life is great and I know God is taking me somewhere and into something and there's a day coming when it's not going to feel like this. Read the scriptures every day with the Holy Spirit. Learn how to pray. And finally, practice. Practice the selfless love of Jesus in ordinary ways in your ordinary life. So simple. So hard. Where in your life right now are you living beyond yourself? I promise you, if you find a way over the next year or two to read the scriptures with the Holy Spirit every day, to learn how to pray big, bold, God-fueled prayers, and you prioritize selfless, sacrificial love all around you, you will become like that lady who in the face of the greatest test of her life said, I'm going to go serve the kids. Will you stand? So Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence. Increase our awareness right now, Lord, of 
things we can't see with our eyes. Your grace, your love, your mercy, your hope, your life. We welcome you right now. Just as I uh, said that, I feel like I saw somebody, uh, you're watching online and you live in, uh, I think your address is 39. You live in number 39. And um, I just see God restoring something over your life right now. <clears throat> just receive that in your living room, your kitchen, wherever you are, wherever you're watching right now. Open your hands. Come, Holy Spirit, fill that home with your life. Fill it right now. Speak words of life, affirmation, boldness, and fresh courage over that family. For many of you, I feel like you would sum up this season in your life as struggle. And I feel like one of the things I want to say to you right now is you haven't done anything wrong. Sometimes we struggle because we've made bad choices, but I feel like there are many of you right now, life is a struggle. It's not your fault. If that's you, would you just open your hands? Because you need power for this supernatural power. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, give them power. Give them what they need. And for the rest of us, Jesus, would you give us grace to stand, strengthen weak and feeble knees. Give us what we need to stand. We would love to uh, pray with and for you. The band are going to lead us in worship. If you'd like prayer, um, this is a great moment to practice. Yes, God, I want to respond. I want to prioritize those three things. Um, we'd love you to come. Just come on up to the front. Some of our team would love to pray with you as we worship, and then I'm going to close in a minute or two. Ordinary Christian life requires power. And... Um, the church gets all tied up in some theological knots when we start talking about baptism and the Holy Spirit. And the word baptism means to immerse. That's why we plunge people into a tank. And the reality is when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we need to be immersed and immersed and immersed and immersed over and over and over again. And so we just want to create a moment just as we close for those of you who feel like you need power for your normal life again to just open your hands. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us freshly with His power. So come, Holy Spirit, baptize us once again. Fill us once again. Immerse us once again in your life, in your love, and in your power. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I pray.